Benvenidos and welcome to the Platform Latino podcast, where we profile, highlight, and bring to the airwaves the successes of our community and those helping us to get us there. I'm your host, Osvaldo Valdez, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. Hola, mi gente. Welcome and where, from whenever or wherever you're listening, I am super grateful for you all. Um, today I have on the podcast Rita Soledad Fernandez Paulino, aka Soledad, the founder of Wealth Para Todos. So get ready to hear a story about how she can help you get your finances in order or just further your knowledge in personal finance. Welcome, Soledad. Hi, Yasi. Thank you for having me. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for being on here. You know, it's, we, we're at the start of 2021. We just got through a crazy year that all the unexpected things could happen from murder hornets to a global pandemic. And um, one thing that's on everybody's mind is like their finances, putting food on the table, paying for a roof over your head. So I think that's why I'm really grateful for having you on the podcast to, you know, help everybody start the year off right and um, prepare for whatever they need to do. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background story, where you're from, you know, what was your upbringing and, and your journey to get to starting Wealth by the Todos. Yeah, I am the daughter of Mexican immigrants. They came here when they were around six years old. So my parents actually grew up in the United States and they went to elementary school here and they went to high school and they even went to college, um, which was something that a lot of my friends didn't have. A lot of my friends didn't have parents who went to college. They're both educators. And I think my life would have just been so different had my parents been able to stay together, but divorce happened (laughs) and they divorced when I was really young. And as a result, I was raised by a single mother who was a teacher in a neighborhood where there was a lot of gang violence. Echo Park now has gone through gentrification, um, but back then there was gang violence, there was poverty, um, and it was hard. It was hard in the sense that, um, you know, we always had to be prepared for drive-bys. Like that, that was my reality. And um, where I went to school, um, there was drive-bys at my school. <laughs> there was there was a lot of gun violence, and um, and yeah, that like I think that really shaped a lot of my own ideas about who has wealth and who doesn't have wealth in this country. And I definitely grew up thinking wealth wasn't accessible or attainable for me. I grew up in LA too. So, so close to Hollywood, so close to seeing money and big houses and, and having access to drive by those things. Yet in my neighborhood, which was full of people of color, it was like, oh, wealth wasn't for us. And so I had, I had that, that really infect, uh, impacted my mentality in terms of who could be wealthy and whether that was something that I could uh, grow up to have. And, and for a long time, I didn't think wealth was for me. Yeah, no, I grew up in, in South Florida. So it's so, somewhat similar to LA, you know, with the fancy cars, sports cars, you know, the glitz and the glam, the dress to impress and, you know, sort of celebrities vacation stuff. So you, you, you're always exposed to it and you always see it around you. But I, you know, I was fortunate to come from middle class, but my parents were, well, my dad was born in Cuba, but my mom was born here. And, but, you know, I wasn't poor. I wasn't worried about drive-bys, thank God. But, but um, I was exposed to that, but I wasn't wealthy enough to have that. So it was, it was always like, okay, I know those people are the rich people. I'm middle class and, you know, it's, it, it may be attainable, but it's very far off. Like I have to get... You know, a lot of I think the mentality is you think you get have to get lucky to get that rich and that wealthy. And that's um something that's hard to overcome. <laughs> and because it it is possible for any Joe Schmo or, you know, um person on the street to 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 build wealth, you know, slowly and 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 um through that throughout that process. So so you grew up in this neighborhood, but you you and then did you go to college in LA or I did. So so I graduated from high school. They had a 54% dropout rate. And I um, was a straight A student in high school. And so coming from that specific high school, I got full scholarships to every school I applied to. Berkeley, Princeton, USC, uh, Occidental College, Cal State Northridge, all, the, all these colleges, except the one I wanted to go to. 
I didn't even get accepted to NYU. Uh, so I go to Occidental College, uh, full scholarship, and I was a math major. And I dealt with a lot of uh, discrimination. I was the only female, the only Latina in my math classes, and nobody wanted to work with me. I didn't want to work with them after they didn't want to work with me. <laughs> and I struggled. And so I eventually dropped out. And I, I, I left a full scholarship. And then I went to community college where, again, I got a scholarship and I had great instructors and I dropped out again. And then finally, I got a job working at a dealership and I was getting paid $15 an hour, which I thought like minimum wage back then was like probably like around $8. Yeah. So for me to make $15 an hour, I thought like, shit, I'm rich. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, with this money, I'm going to be able to buy a car. Not really understanding like, oh, I'm going to end up living with my mom forever. Um, <laughs> but I thought I had good money. And then, um, and I was really into like the club scene. So I was dancing a lot during that time. And I remember on like Halloween, I'm dressed up in like this cheetah costume and Nobody wanted to go to the club with me because everyone was studying for midterms. And I, in a cheetah costume, decided to apply to go to NYU. And I got accepted. And like two months later, I moved to New York City, stayed there, eventually got my master's. I was a math teacher for a while. And all this time I'm making, I'm making money. And, and I had like learned about Susie Orman when I was 19 years old. And so I used to watch her show. And so I knew like a little bit of stuff. And something that I think I was very privileged about is that I had learned very young about how to manage your credit. So I never had a credit card debt because I knew that if you don't pay off your, your bill in full, then you're going to pay interest. And I knew to avoid interest. I also had bought a car and I used, I got an auto loan and I knew then to avoid interest. So instead of like taking the seven years to pay off my car, I paid it off in three. So with all my friends, they were like, oh, so she's good with money because she doesn't have credit card debt. She pays off her car loans early. And I thought I was good too, but I didn't, I didn't. And I was also investing in my like um, retirement plan as soon as I started teaching. And so at uh, that school, I had a 403B and I knew to invest. I think I had heard Susie Orman say like $500 a month. She was probably talking about Roth IRAs, but I, in my head, thought it was like a retirement plan. So I just invested $500 a month. And those four years of investing helped me. So it was like, I, I knew stuff, but I didn't really know stuff. I cash flowed expenses throughout my 20s. But I didn't really, really start to understand wealth until March 2019 when I got sick and I had to be put on medical leave and I was on bed rest and I started reading personal finance books. And it was then that I had carried my student loan debt with me because when I went to NYU, there was no scholarship. When I went to NYU, I had over $100,000 of student loans. Yeah, it's one of the most expensive um, universities to go to. I know, I know. I, 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 went, I went out of state my first two years. I went to school in Illinois and I had almost a full ride. I think it was like 80% paid for it if I had stayed in Florida. And I was like, no, I want to go. And, you know, it was a good school and everything, but I eventually came back home and finished, finished in Florida because it was just too expensive to to maintain that. And it was like half of what NYU charges. So <laughs> I can only yeah. imagine. Um, so, so I'm on bed rest, I'm reading books and I realized like, Oh wait, there's like this whole community, uh, a debt-free community. There's people who are committed to living without debt. And I just thought like, huh? Like that's a possibility. Like people can actually strive to do that. And I had grown up with a mother who used her credit cards a lot as an emergency fund. So she always had debt. And that was normal to me um, to carry debt. But like, I thought I was, I had learned a little bit more because I wasn't paying interest. And so as I learned about this debt-free community, and if you're on Instagram, you could follow the community. It's hashtag debt-free community. <laughs> and I started budgeting and the in so it was May 2019 that I wrote my first budget failed. Like I was like, oh hell no, I can't do this. But I was on bed rest. I was sick. 
So when June came along, I did it again. And I think in some ways it was a blessing that it worked out like that because had I been in the midst of perhaps working and um, you know taking care of my children, had I had the help to, to be able to do other things, I may have never stayed committed to budgeting, but I did. And so um, June, I created a budget, fresh start, felt better. July, I was like, oh shit, like we really have a lot of money um, dispensable income. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you create a budget, you list out your expenses, you list out your income. And I noticed that our expenses, like we could decrease them, which would allow us to have money to work towards paying off debt. And so, and when I did that, I was like, oh, this is significant. It was like a thousand seven hundred dollars. And I cut down a lot of our expenses. I did. Um, and this was before COVID, right? So I like had stopped going to get like manicures and pedicures and getting my hair done. But that that was a lot of money. It adds up. And yeah. so I was like, oh, well, I could cut that down for a little bit and then we could attack this debt. And that's that's really how it all started. Yeah, definitely. Like um, we, we talked a little bit before, but my, my degree in undergrad was accounting. So I've been working in accounting and finance. And a lot of people think, oh, you you're an accountant or you, you work in accounting, you must have perfect finances. I'm like, no, nah, not as much as you would think. And a lot of my friends that majored in accounting and, you know, have a finance background, you know, they, they still go out and spend, they're frivolous, you know, savings always a struggle. And, you know, we do this for companies that we work for every day. You would think that we would be proficient, but when it comes to yourself, it's a whole nother story. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you had the tragedy of being on bed rest. And I, 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 I think we talked, you're, you're fine now, you're healthy. Yes, right? yes. And, uh, but it's, it, it really, when something big like that happens, like, you know, I think I got in a, a car accident and, you know, you had to pay a $500 deductible and you're like, well, I make enough to pay my bills. I make enough to go out, but I, $500 is a, a hit, you know, you feel it and you, it shouldn't, you know, cause if you, if you plan ahead, you know, you have that. So it's, um, it's definitely something that, that opens your eyes, but my issue, and maybe I'm sure it'll help everybody else. So I love Excel. I can be in Excel for days and I make these beautifully beautiful, fancy budgets that, you know, take formulas from the bottom, show your debt, all this crap. And, um, but then I, I finish and I, I don't look back at it. So, <laughs> so like now that you, you, you know, you have kids and you have a family and you, at, at one time you were working, how, what do you recommend for people that have, don't have that free time or that time that, that they can just look at the budget and plan to stay on, on task? Okay. So your budget is your plan for how you're going to spend your money. And then life happens. Mm -hmm. Every month I create a budget in terms of how I want to spend my money, but life happens, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes like I have, you know, a loved one who's, who needs money. So then now we're going to, you know, use money for that over time. And I've been budgeting now for like over 20 months. My budget has looked different each month. The key is tracking your spending. Okay. So you have to know where is your money actually going? So it's like, I create a plan, but then every week, I mean, when I first started, I did it daily because I'm, I'm an emotional spender. I'm a natural spender. And I was just had to bring awareness around what my spending, what I was spending on. Mm -hmm. And so by writing it down, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that like every week I, I show me tracking my spending. I'm writing it down so then I could actually put it into like this app. Or if you could, if you do it on a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. you could set it up. So as you write down what you spend your money on, it could subtract. Um, so you know how much you have left in each category, which is really key. So that if you know, like, oh, you know what? We ended up spending more on eating out at a restaurant. Okay. So now we have less um, money when it comes to eating out, but we have more money, um, right now on toiletries because we didn't have to buy toilet paper. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then you move that money over and it's, it's a weekly, I would say a weekly thing where you review your credit cards or your debit cards, you review your statements and you start to see like, okay, um, let me, let me see how much money I have left in each category. Gotcha. 
And then I, no, it is good too. And it's like, I think daily could be intense for some people that this is totally like uncomfortable. But for some people, I'm telling you, like, and the people that I work with, like Mm -hmm. sometimes I meet with, I'll meet with them weekly so that I input, they're tracking their spending um, for them. And they, they work on doing it daily because for some people, if you're a natural spender, like if you're somebody who goes to Target to like buy milk or I don't know what you buy at Target, but whatever you buy at Target and you come out with pyjamas, um, <laughs> you know, a swimsuit, toys for your kids, like that, that's how I used to be. Yeah. Then it's like tracking daily might just be what you need to just like, at least for 30 days for mm. one month so that, you know, like, oh, wow, I have a tendency to like walk by a frutero and buy fruit. I have a tendency to walk by, you know, any, or, or when I'm with my kids or whatever. So you need to know what your, what your spending triggers are. And, and a lot of times it's your impulse spending. Like you're saying that, that it's not, you know, you're not buying a, like a, I don't know, a, a piece of technology or electronics, you know, that that's a hefty cost and you might be able to afford it. But if it's hitting your savings, it's a whole nother story. But these are just like little things, you know, like one thing I learned when moving to New York was everything's itemized up there compared to South Florida, where it was more suburban. So, you know, in South Florida, you order a hamburger, it comes with French fries and a soda. In New York, nope. You want the French fries? It's extra. You want the sodas? Extra. You want cheese on the hamburger? It's another dollar, two dollars. So I was just like, oh man. So you, you, okay, no cheese on the cheeseburger. All right, no soda. I'll just drink water. Okay, I don't need the French fries. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but little things like that add up, and, it, and it's just like normal, you know, just adding the cheese, adding the bacon, or adding the the guacamole to your mm-hmm. to your burrito. It just it, those little things add up, and and they take a hit from your savings. So, and so like once people have this budget and let's say they commit to it for 30 days, what would be your next um, piece of advice for them to do? Like what would be the next step? Okay. So you have your budget and and that means like you've listed out your income, you've listed, listed out your expenses and ideally you would track where every dollar is going to go. So if you have more income than expenses, you make a plan for that extra money. Is it going to go towards debt? Is it going to go towards savings? Is it going to go towards retirement? You decide. If you have, and this happens to a lot of people that I work with too, where their expenses are higher than their income. Mm -hmm. And when they see that they, you know, each month they have a thousand dollars worth more of expenses than do they have their income, then they start to realize, well, this is why I'm in debt. And this is why I keep using my credit cards. And this is, and and sometimes like until you see that number, until you see it, you have no idea that you're living above your means. If that's your case, then you have to find ways to either decrease your expenses or increase your income. And that's a lot more challenging. So you have that number, you have an idea where your numbers are, you're tracking your spending to make sure that each month um, or, you know, like even just each week, you're you're sticking to your budget. And if, if you're not, then you move things around. And that's something that I think is important for people to know. Like it took me seven months of consistently budgeting to actually feel like, oh, I'm good at this, to have a budget that I understand what all our expenses are. Because when I first started budgeting, I didn't put a line item for my car insurance or like Costco renew, you know, renew yeah, membership, yeah. like, you know, those <laughs> fees or Amazon. Like I didn't, I didn't think of those. It's not until you're charged those items that you're like, oh shoot, I didn't have money for this. And so then you start to adapt your budget to make sure that you can cash flow those things um, in the future. So part of it is just all, the last thing I would say when you're tracking your spending is reflecting and seeing like, okay, what didn't I have enough money for in my budget that I actually needed money for? So for some people, it's like, you're going to find out like you, you, like everyone I talk to, they always say like, oh, I don't eat out. I don't eat out. I, mm-hmm. you know, I cook at home all the time. I don't, you know, that's the first thing that they want to eliminate. And it's always the first thing that they go over. And then it causes them to feel bad because they're like, oh, I can't stick to a budget. I'm like, no, it's not that you can't stick to your budget. Your budget isn't realistic for your lifestyle. Exactly. Um, so, so you have to reflect and you have to go back and see like, okay, well, what did I spend over? And let me make sure to give myself more money for that in the future. 
Gotcha. Yeah. And, and just on the side note, I was looking at her Instagram and she has this cool, um, funny infographic with Bad Bunny showing like the, the formula for disposable income. And if you're in this section, you know, and that's, you know, it's a simple formula that, that, um, just, you know, income minus expenses equals disposable income. And then you got to decide we're there. And then also you have to be fair to yourself. You know, if you, you know, if you spend $700 a month on food, whether it's eating out in wherever, don't put budget 500 because you know, you're going to set yourself up for failure, but you know, put, put 700 or, you know, if you are trying to save money and cut back and lower your expenses, you know, 650, but, but be, be realistic. Like you're saying, don't be unrealistic. And then also, um, don't beat yourself up because this is right. Process. Right. Because <laughs> I always tell people too, like you have to budget for your joy. You have to invest in your joy and protect your joy. Joy should be a line item in your budget. And by by having that in your budget, it's going to be more sustainable. Anything that feels like deprivation is not sustainable. (laughs) And in some ways, if you're creating your first budget, like I remember when I created my first budget, I looked up online like percentages that I should spend on each category. And the the percentage for food was like half of what I actually spend on food. And so that was something that I struggled with. Whereas now I, I tell people, if you're going to create your first budget should be a reflection of your actual spending. So look back at your credit card statements, look back at your, at your debit card um, and, and see how much you're actually spending in these categories. Let your budget be reflective of your values, of your needs and your desires. Cause it's for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you don't cater to your actual lifestyle and you know, I, I love that quote, the joy should be a line, a line item in your budget, you're going to fail. You know, you're setting yourself up for failure. So you got to make it comfortable enough, but as, as well as uncomfortable enough to get back on track. Um, one question that I wrote, like, as a former math teacher, and I, I coined you a math whiz because I would hate to, to major in math. What would you tell a person that seems themselves that deemed themselves bad at math in relation to personal finance? Yeah, some of the people that I work with, that's the thing. Numbers scare them, mm-hmm. and they and they struggle. So I think, like, understand, like, I didn't know that there are financial coaches out there. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know that was something that you could get support in. And there is, there are people who help with personal finance. And so finding someone that you trust um, is great. It's like, you know, the same thing, like if you go to the gym, right? Like you want to lose weight, but you don't really know how to use the machines. You're not really sure. So you get a trainer or, you know, you meet a nutritionist. Like I'm all about, investing in ways to like, you know, develop yourself. Right. And so understand too, that you can work with um, a personal finance coach and prices vary in terms of what people offer, even signing up for like a boot camp, uh, a six week book boot camp. There's a lot of free resources too. clever girl finance offers uh, free workshops. There's a lot of things on YouTube too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more than anything, what has helped me stay really committed was having a community. So even if you're not working with a coach, like maybe it's a comadre, maybe it's, you know, your, your best friend, maybe it's a primo, like somebody who that you're like, okay, on, on Sunday, we're going to get on zoom and we're going to both be tracking our spending. And at least we're holding each other accountable. Gotcha. And then also like, uh, I, it's not, it's not advanced calculus, you know, it's just subtra- addition and subtraction, you know, maybe a little sprinkle of multiplication division. And that's, that's how I usually describe accounting, you know, yeah, there's laws and stuff, but, and, you know, regulations, but most of the time it's just adding and subtracting. And that's, that's what personal finance is. And it's not, so you, you shouldn't feel too scared. It's not like they're, <laughs> you're going to be tested. And also though, like if you're feeling scared, this is another thing. Like there's, there's narratives that we all hold on to related to money that impact how we spend our money, impact our ability to sit down and look at our spending, right? If if you get a lot of anxiety or nervousness or or you just don't feel good, 
when you're paying your bills, when you're um, buying something, or if you get like remorse after buying something, right? Like that just tells you there's some things that you want to think about, that you want to unpack. And really figure out whether those narratives are some are serve you. And something I always say is like, release the narratives, the habits, the expectations that don't serve your body, that don't serve your mind, and don't serve your wallet. And that's something that I'll repeat to myself. I release these narratives, expectations, and habits that don't serve my body, mind, and wallet. And that helps me. And as soon as I'm noticing like, oh, like, I don't know, something like the negative thought. And just like, there's that mental component too, because it's, behavior changes work and it's emotional. So know that you're not alone. And if you do feel those intense feelings, like you're not alone, it's normal. Yeah. It's behavior change, you know? Yeah, definitely. And you had mentioned that too, that you, um, mental health is very important in this journey to getting, um, I don't know, personal finance on track, more organized, how, whatever, whatever your situation is, like how has mental health affected or helped you or, was yeah, I mean, I, I'm always very clear and open with people that I had tried budgeting in 2015. And I was kind of on track, I was tracking my spending. And I'm not really sure, I don't even remember what it was. But I remember it was 2015, I had my child and I looked at my money and our, our net worth was negative And I was the least amount of money that I ever had in my adult life. And now I was a mom. And so I really wanted to change. And so I started to, I started looking at our spending, tracking our spending. And yet my grandfather died, my abuelito. And when he died, I spent $10,000 in like three months over like like I was charging everything to our credit card and I spent so much money on like, I can't even tell you. And, and my husband, I remember he was like, eh, you know, it's just money. Uh, you know, you could have, you know, started drinking alcohol. You could have done so many things to deal with your grief. Mm-hmm. It's just money. But in my mind, I was like, Oh, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Like, why is it so hard for me to deal with this grief, with these emotions and understanding I didn't have a release for that emotion. So I started therapy. And once I started therapy and I had a regular place to unpack my my feelings and just release things, I started to notice it was easier for me to not rely on spending to get like my instant gratification. I no longer needed to buy something to feel good. I learned coping mechanisms such as like ground myself and gratitude and different things. And I think that's huge, right? Like my therapy helped my financial journey a lot. And I think in general, like in the Latino community, I mean, I remember not wanting to tell anyone in my family that I was in therapy. I kept that shit on the low, low (laughs) for a long time. And when I finally told my dad, he was like, physical therapy? what happened? You hurt your back? And I was like, no, like, you know, mental therapy. He's like, huh? Like, are you getting a divorce? And I was like, no, no. Like, you know, for like emotions. And he was like, so confused. He was like, I don't know why you want to be in therapy. You have two kids, you're married. Like, and I'm like, I just want to learn other ways to cope with my emotions that don't involve eating and spending and working or drinking like so many other people in our family. Those are their coping mechanisms. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I have a therapist too, and I go to therapy just, just to help sort out my thoughts and you find out what those triggers are that cause you to spend to cope or, you know, whatever things that you want to get out of your life or, you know, bad habits you want to break, it, it helps sort those things out in your head. And, you know, talking to a therapist or, some, you know, a licensed professional, it helps. They, they, they have the techniques to really pin down, pinpoint the source and how to fix it and how to change your, your way of thinking. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it does have a bad connotation with, with in society as well as with the Latino community, like, Oh, (laughs) so-and-so Ozzy's a little crazy, you know, he's seen it. And it's so wild to me because like, once you start going to therapy and once you start just feeling so good about your life and you start feeling like, Oh, like anything is possible. I could do anything like, Oh, because you release all this baggage. 
then anyone who isn't in therapy, like you're like, oh, you need to go to therapy. You need to go to therapy. <laughs> you're just like, just go to therapy, please, por favor. Yeah. <laughs> like all our world's problems will be fixed if yeah. everyone just, you know, focused a little more on their mental health. Definitely, definitely. And it's not a bad thing. It's much more needed, you know, in, in society as well as within our community. It's um something that they need to pick it up. But like, like how we're talking about Latinos in therapy, how, what's your um, perception of Latinos with personal finance, like personal finance within Latino community? First of all, people don't like talking about dinero. We're mm-hmm. not supposed to talk about money. If we do talk about money, it's supposed to be like, oh, look, this dress was $30, but I got it for $15. That is acceptable within our community. Mm-hmm. But saying, oh, you know, I'm going to take these $30 and I'm going to invest it in a, in a Roth IRA and buy some exchange traded funds. Que lo que? No, 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 no. We don't do that, right? <laughs> And um, so that's something that I've noticed that uh, we definitely don't really like to talk about money, which is why I created Wealth Para Todos, because I needed to find my community of people who I could talk dinero with, sin vergüenza. Mm -hmm. And um, Wealth Para Todos is that for me. It's a community where we talk about money. If you have a question, you, you know, you leave it in a comment, you put it in the DM, I get on my stories and I do that. And um Part of my, uh, in Wealth Para Todos, I recently did a collaboration where we talked about different myths within the Latino community. So I know that one thing that I grew up believing was that investing was gambling. Mm. And, and that's something that like, I never wanted to invest in the stock market, not realizing like anyone, if you have an employer retirement plan, you're already an investor. You're yeah. already investing. <laughs> So, but I didn't, I didn't think of that. Right. And so I thought of anyone who did and who was, you know, buying stocks and bonds and all that stuff that they were gambling, not understanding that if you buy and hold uh, low cost index funds in the SP 500 have shown like an average rate of return of 10%. That's huge. Right now you can't get like more than 1% in a high yield savings account, you know? So (laughs) So understanding that, and and also I know like for myself, when I wanted to open up a Roth IRA, I remember my husband saying to me, Soledad, that is sketchy. Like he was like, no. And I was like, no, I swear this is a real thing. I yeah. saw it on the IRS website. I've heard everybody in the personal finance community talk about it. It's real. It's real. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's the thing, like within our community is just like, since we're not talking about money, a lot of times these, these concepts, these words seem so foreign and it's why I'm so committed to go and going on podcasts because I just want to say all these terms so that people Mm -hmm. know, like it's real, it's not a scam, (laughs) you know, um, tax advantage accounts are out there. If you're investing in Robinhood, then you could be investing in a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA and getting tax benefits. Um, and I want people to know that, like, I really want everyone to know that. (laughs) No, definitely. And like, you know, there are, there are malicious people out there, but you know, the first things first is like, follow Wealth Para Todos and you you inform and you get that foundation of basic knowledge so that you can go into, you know, a wealth planner or somebody that, that can deal with the Roth IRA and, and give you knowledgeable stuff and you know they're not trying to nickel and dime yes. you. So and see, that's the thing. Like our community has also been targeted against in so many different ways, whether it's through banks, you know, whether it's through real estate and, and like loans, um, home loans that just were like, you know, the variable interest rate that fucked us up. But I'm like, can I carry a sauce? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Edit that out. <laughs> it's early in the morning. My kids are sleeping. I mean, I, I can still curse. No, um, so so our communities have been impacted, you know, like I, I, I know every, I, I know that I've worked in places like, you know, when I was at the car dealership, I remember the owner saying, um, if someone isn't a citizen, we'll give them, we could still give them a loan to buy a car, but automatically the interest rate is going to be 25%. Which is ridiculous. And, yeah. Which is so, so mm. ridiculous. And I, um, and I was just like, wait, what? Like, those are the people who really need our help the most. And, and this is why, you know, I can't really work at a car dealership because at the end of the day, I cared more about, you know, <laughs> saving people money. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> making the business money. But um, I think, you know, like it's real. There is like information out there. And I know another thing that a lot of people come my way to talk to me about is that they buy insurance plans. So like um, whole life insurance versus term life insurance and understanding um, when they do have somebody who helps them like get into investing and things like that. Like you want to know what the expense ratio is. You want to know the fees that you're paying for something. And a lot of times if someone else is managing your money and your investments, they're going to charge you for that. And know that it's possible that if you learn how to invest your own money and you read books and, and, and you watch these YouTube videos and you can find um, ways to invest your money with ratios no more than 0.15%. Mm-hmm. And if you go to someone, they might charge you 1%, which is a, makes, could result in hundreds of thousands of lost dollars over time. So being aware of your expense ratios for your investments um, is key, which again, um, I just want everyone to know that word expense ratio, expense ratio, expense ratio. <laughs> no, no, definitely. And another word is um, it's like a you should always work with a fiduciary, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. like, I know you're studying for their CFP, which is a certified financial planner. She had, like, when once she gets it, like, she she has a fiduciary commitment that she has to have your best interest, it's not her best interest. And you know, investing, you should always look at it for the long term. So even if you don't feel comfortable that day or the numbers are just not making sense to you, take a few days, work it out talk to your friends that have already done it, you know, work out the the numbers, ask the person, Hey, write everything out. I'm being charged for. So if I put 20,000 into this account and what, what is, what's going to be the cost of having that minus the interest minus the, you know, the, the, the return on investment, you know, that they have a commitment they have to, write it out for you and explain it to you. And, you know, I used to listen to Dave Ramsey and he says, you should find somebody that has the heart of a teacher like like yourself, mm. because they're able to explain it to you and make sure you're comprehending it as well as, you know, you feel comfortable with the information and what you're doing, because like, like we went back with the budget, you have to feel comfortable with it and take your time, you know, a few days, a week or two, it's not going to, change it you know it's not like you're, you're investing in bitcoin that goes shoots up to thirty right, thousand right. and the next day it's twenty five thousand you know you're doing something for the long run and with the s p it's over a year that they get that eight to ten percent it's not right. in a month or a day you know it, it it takes time for it to grow and and that's the biggest thing you know like take your time understand ask as many questions as you can and um find people like so that you know that have that <laughs> That, that heart, you know, that, that wants you to succeed more than their pocket. Full transparency. I just want everyone to know, like, first I focused on getting out of debt. Then I focused on building an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And before you really want to start investing, you want to make sure that you have an emergency fund in place because that's going to be the avenue that keeps you out of debt. So building an emergency fund, like there's like an order to things, right? Like, yes, you could be investing in your employer retirement plan, especially if you have a match. Yes, do that. But build your emergency fund. And then you get to the point where maybe you can open up other tax advantage accounts to invest. And before you do that, also make sure that your debt, like if you have high interest debt, anything above 6%, it doesn't make sense for your money to be going into investments because ultimately like it's not your, your net worth isn't going to change. So, so understand that. And I just want you guys all to know, like it took, I always say it's like everything happens poco a poco, todo con tiempo, Mm. because first I like mastered budgeting. Then I was able to figure out how to get out of debt. Then I built an emergency fund. And then I spent three months reading and reading as much as I could about investing before I felt comfortable investing myself. So I did that, you know, and it takes mm-hmm. time and take your time to really understand stuff because, you know, if something goes wrong, then then it's just going to create another tr- money trauma that later on you're going to have to unpack in therapy anyways. So you <laughs> might as well just take your time. No, that, that's the biggest thing. Take your time and then um, 
you know, learning like poco a poco, like just, you know, first pay off your debt, then building an emergency fund, you know, there's steps to it and there's reasons and there's unlimited amount of resources online. There's books. If you, if you don't want to spend the money on the books, you can go to the library. They have all, you know, a lot of the resources are just online for free or, you know, following you, you know, you, you can learn a lot and that gives you the foundation and the preparation to, to go those different levels and steps to, to take on your journey for, for finance, financial freedom, (laughs) as they call it. No, but, um, I, I definitely recommend what you're saying, you know, take, take time to allow time to, to let it take its course, basically. Um, one, one question I wrote down was what are some things that are normal in the Latino community that are an advantage for Latinos to help in their personal finance journey? Oh, such a good question. Okay. So there's this thing called house hacking. And it's the idea that you live with roommates to decrease your housing expenses. So maybe you buy a house and then you live with other people and those people help contribute to your uh, mortgage or if you're renting to your rent. Latinos, we have been house hacking for years. <laughs> That's our jam. We live with our tias or with our abuelos. We live together right now. I, I live with my little brother. So it's my husband, me, my four kids, and my brother and his girlfriend. We're house hacking. And yes, it decreases our housing expenses. So finding those ways to like help each other out, I think like... Um, you'll be aware that you're mm-hmm. already doing this. I think also a lot of Latinos, like we like a good deal. So decreasing your expenses, like you might really get into like couponing or even like using um, rewards on your credit cards. Like I know I, I'm yeah. really big on getting my cash back every year. So um, those are things that are like natural to us. I also think that um, I know like in, in the Mexican culture, like quinceañeras, you would have like a madrina to help with each part of the quinceañera. So there's like that collective culture of everyone coming together to do something. And I think that that can also be used to like come together to create businesses, to come together to buy real estate. There's, you know, there's that potential there mm-hmm. because we are already so um, we're a collective culture. Yeah, we 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 are very um, like a family oriented. So like yes. a family community, you know, family doesn't always have to be blood, but you know, you help your your little cluster, your your circle of friends, and that you know that use that towards your advantage for this. Like you mentioned, build your community, have a friend that's an accountability partner, and and you know, like like you're saying, the house hacking. You know, we've been doing it for years, and and. Um, and it's amazing, you know, a lot of immigrants that come here, they do that for five, 10 years and they're, you know, already light years ahead of somebody that <laughs> that's second or third generation that, you know, went through the college and debt and stuff, but they own the house, they have the savings because they didn't have the support and the back, the, the, I guess what the safety net that, you know, citizens may have, you know, like. <laughs> and we also have to like realize like a lot of times in our, in our culture, like you're not expected to move out of your house yeah. until you get married. Right. So that allows you to really live below your means longer, you know, like mm-hmm. that we do have like, I mean, like in other cultures, they'll be like, oh, that's weird. But for us, it's like staying together, living all together. That's like, oh, we're we're a good family. We're a happy family, you know, and (laughs) that's a great way to decrease your your expenses so that you could use that extra, you know, you increase your discretionary cash flow. That's the fancy word. You um, increase the amount of money that you have to spend towards your financial goals, right? Definitely. Let, I, I have just a few final questions and let, let's do like kind of a lightning round. You can just give a, a quick answer. Um, which one should I ask first? All right. This one I, I, I was curious about because I saw a difference. What do you see as a difference in mentality for personal finance between California and New York? Are there any differences or similarities? Oh, um, well, the cost of transportation varies. Um but then I guess it depends because if you own a car in New York, it's the same thing as if you you know own a car in LA. But when I was in New York, I took the train everywhere and I walked everywhere. So that was like a difference. And then like food, 
like buying cereal at the bodega costs a lot more money than buying cereal at a grocery store. Um, I lived in, in the city. So I think that's also like a, a, a big thing. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question right. No, no. Like one thing I noticed from, from moving from South Florida to New York in South Florida, everything's like showing that you have wealth or showing that you, you know, you drive a good car, you wear the like expensive clothes and yes, New York has that, but they have so many different like communities and stuff that you, you can find your little niche and you know, you if, well, cars, you know, are, I think they're less commonplace, but if you have a car, it's, it's valuable. It doesn't matter if you're, you're driving a BMW or a Toyota Camry, you know, you have a car, which is right. a big asset in, in New York. So that, that's like that. Those are the mentality things that I, I think also in California, it is very common to invest in your, in your physical health. So like paying a gym membership, going to yoga classes, like that's like a big thing for a lot of Californians. And I imagine it's cause like we're out in the sun and we wear less clothes. Yeah. So maybe that's why. <laughs> There's not enough five months of winter. <laughs> gotcha. All right. And then um, the next question, being a mom, what are some ways you plan to teach your kids about personal finance and saving money? It's funny that you asked that because last night, my uh, six-year-old created these little drawings and they're really cute. They're like little puppets. And I was like, oh, we should open up an Etsy shop for you and you could sell them. And then we could open up a Roth IRA for you because you have earned income and then you could start investing. And by the time you're 18 years old, your retirement will already like be set and you'll never have to invest. And uh, my six-year-old was like, but would I have to give the puppets to someone if they buy it? And I was like, yeah. And, <laughs> and then I was like, but then you can make a new one. And my brother comes along and my brother says, oh, well, I'll buy it for 25 cents. And my six-year-old is holding three quarters in their hand. And they're like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Should I go with it? And I'm thinking, you're about to sell what you spent days creating for 25 cents. So I'm telling my six-year-old, no, baby, you need to think about the time it costs, uh, the time you spent making it, the materials you used, how much that cost you. um, And that's just to break even. Don't you think you should like if you're going to sell it, it should be more than for 25 cents each. And they're like, um, um, so like maybe a dollar. And I told my husband, we really need to talk about this stuff (laughs) because our child has spent so much time on this and now they're just ready to just sell it for so little. And then you're buying all the materials. Yeah. (laughs) And my husband's like, all right, well, let's eat dinner. (laughs) So those are like the ways that like money does come up in our household. And we just, we talk about entrepreneurship a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, in our home, we don't always say, uh, and, and just because the values of the tax benefits of being an entrepreneur, it's like, it's crazy who gets tax benefits in this country, right? Yeah. yeah. And that, and then also my, my children are already aware about a budget and they already know, like, sometimes we have no spend days. So it's like, oh, we're going to go out and we're, we're challenging ourselves to not spend any money. So that means we're preparing our sandwiches, we're preparing our little snacks, and we're not going to spend any money. Um, and so, and I tell my kids all the time, like, mama and papa are working to, to get real estate and to be able to match your contributions to a Roth IRA. So you never have to worry about some of the two largest expenses, your retirement and your home. We're not going to pay for college which, you know, like, we're not going to do that. That's going to be on you. However, if you're good with your money, one day you could inherit real estate. And it's funny because right now we don't, we don't own any property. We're renting, you know, like we don't know, but we're already telling them that so that they have it in their minds of like, oh, you know, let me show that I can manage my money well. And we also always encourage them to save some of their money. As soon as they get money, I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to save? What are you going to spend? And just those conversations. Gotcha. And then, um, I, yeah, no, it's important. I remember my mom taking me with my communion money from that I got as gifts to the bank and opening an account and and putting in a savings. And she's like, this is for later. Don't. <laughs> That's um, good. But. The last question I want to, oh, yeah, let's, let's close with this. Like, what are your goals for Wealth Para Todos? And like, where would you like to see it grow? 
five, 10 years, a year? My big, my big dream and desire is to see uh, Latinos talking about dinero and everyone having a plan for their money, everyone being debt free um, or using debt as a leverage to build more wealth, investing in their retirement and knowing that they're just capable of building wealth too, that it's a matter of uh, financial literacy and also just having the support, having some, a community, right? And for every everyone who follows my page, and not just like Latinos, right? Like I'm very committed to um, being someone who, you know, it's a safe place for anyone who's part of the LGBTQ community, um, anyone who has felt marginalized in society. If you... Maybe you're a foster kid, maybe, you know, like whatever your background is, if you at one point have felt like I can never be wealthy, then that's where I want you to be part of my Mm -hmm. Wealth Para Todos community, because I want to show you that you can. And that's my biggest dream to just get as many people as possible, believing that they, they're wealth builders too. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and with all these, you know, nuggets of of good information and you know getting the the lexicon and the vocabulary out into the community is the first step and then you know then they can go forward and and feel comfortable so how do like what's the best way to follow you or you know if people want to get in contact with you I am on Instagram every single day. <laughs> so find me at Wealth Para Todos on Instagram. I also have a website that I'm slowly developing called uh, wealthparatodos.com. I'm on Twitter and I want to get better about um, creating content for Twitter and Pinterest. It is just my goal to really make a lot of information as accessible as possible. And maybe, you know, you connect with me and I'm not the person that you really feel you can relate to. Well, I share a lot of people in my story and other people who are talking about dinero that maybe you're going to be able to relate to them. And I think that's important. Like find someone who you want to learn from. Uh, If it's not me, I'm going to hook you up with the person that it should be, because ultimately the goal is that for all of us to know that to talk dinero and build dinero and make it and all that stuff definitely and um thank you again for being on here i encourage everybody to follow um follow so that you know because this is a wealth of knowledge so you have wealth for yourself and wealth for everyone para todos and um thank you again thank you thank you Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit subscribe and of course, follow us on IG, Facebook, and all their social media platforms at Platform Latino. That's P-L-A-T-F-O-R-M-L-A-T-I-N-O. Thanks again and have a wonderful and inspired day. Mm-hmm.